Hello and welcome. Thanks for tuning in to NAESP's Advocacy Podcast. My name is Danny Carlson. I'm NAESP's Assistant Executive Director for Advocacy and Policy. We're thrilled to have Linda Darling-Hammond with us today. Uh, Linda is one of the most influential voices in K-12 education policy today. She's the President and CEO of the Learning Policy Institute, as well as a Professor of Education at Stanford University, uh, among many, many other titles and hats uh, that Linda wears. Uh, Linda, thanks for joining us. Great to be here. Good, good. Thanks. Uh, well, let's start uh, first things first. I, I mentioned in the intro uh, your organization, uh, the Learning Policy Institute. Uh, so tell us a little bit more about uh, what your organization does. Well, the Learning Policy Institute was created to span the divide between evidence, research evidence, and policy. Uh, quite often we find that uh, we know a lot about how people learn, about how school organizations can function well, uh, how educators can do their best work, but that doesn't always translate into the policy frameworks that are operating at the federal, state, and local level. So we exist not only to produce evidence and research and to synthesize the research done by others, but also to carry it directly into the policy arena. In addition, you know, we're learning a lot about how people learn, and there are some new understandings of both uh, how learning happens, uh, the ways in which social, emotional, and academic development are linked, uh, and the demands of 21st century economies and uh, employment. And that kind of learning, which requires much more critical thinking and problem solving and flexibility in the use of knowledge, is something that's going to demand new policies at virtually every level. So we also exist in particular to ensure that what we know about learning informs policy. Absolutely, that's great. Yeah, no, I, I'd encourage all uh, listeners to um, check out the website. I mean, really everything from sort of teacher shortages to kind of state and district policies to early ed, um, really, really great um, research and, and, and policy briefs. Uh, so I uh, would encourage folks to uh, <clears throat> uh, take a look. Um, well, so let's shift. So we are, um, you are on a uh, podcast that is for, you know, uh, uh, elementary and middle level uh, school principals. Uh, so let's jump right to the heart of it. Um, I, I've been um, at conferences uh, where you've spoken um, and, and talking about school leadership and sort of the, the importance of it. Um, but let's get to sort of how do you think about uh, the principle in sort of the sort of K-12 ecosystem? How do you think about that role, the importance of that role, um, and sort of challenges and, and, and sort of opportunities um, as we think about um, sort of what principles do? Well, principles are really at the heartbeat of the entire school ecosystem. And, you know, we've got a lot of evidence that uh, good principles uh, make a huge difference in the outcomes of schools, and that no school has really turned around without the efforts of a really uh, thoughtful and dynamic principal. And what does the principal do in terms of the supporting instruction, um, along with the many other things that a principal might do? Uh, one key piece is to create a shared vision, to be able to work with faculty, with parents and community members and others in the 
school framework that may include also other community-based organizations that offer services to kids to create a shared vision of the kind of uh, supports for children that uh, need to be in place, the kind of learning that um, we want to happen, the kinds of strategies that are uh, to be used in a coherent way. Uh, and that requires a lot of capacity for um, in incorporating the views of others as well as articulating you know, a, a common vision and then seeing that it gets instantiated in lots of policies and practices uh, in a coherent, aligned way on a regular basis. Um, the principle also is really important in helping teachers share their expertise with each other. Uh, the amount of expertise you need to know to teach is infinite. Uh, every child brings uh, its own, you know, his or her own um, background and needs and um, problems of practice, if you will. Uh, and every teacher uh, wants to continue to learn. And so structuring a school so that it allows for the sharing of expertise, it allows for teachers to be in each other's classrooms, observing and giving each other feedback, to be meeting in teams, to plan curriculum uh, and lessons, to be meeting uh, around children and their needs to be collaborating in decision-making is a key part of building an effective school. And that kind of work to create this collegial, collaborative, expertise-sharing organization, it turns out matters greatly to teachers in terms of where they want to work uh, and whether they're likely to stay. It also matters in terms of the extent to which they become more effective over time. Teachers in that kind of environment gain in effectiveness uh, relative to those who are in an isolated, uh, closed-door environment. And then the third thing that the principal can really support is the sharing of practices, creating shared norms and practices across classrooms um, so that kids know what to expect, uh, know that they will be uh, well-treated and supported, and will have certain common ways of working as they go from one teacher to the next, from one classroom to the next, from one space in the school, say the classroom to the next, say the lunchroom or the playground, that the norms for um, supportive uh, treatment and behavior will be shared across the school. All of these things really depend on a thoughtful principal who works uh, with other um, teachers as leaders to create that common environment. No, that's great. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. A follow-up question to, to, to something you said on, on, on this idea of instructional leadership. Uh, when all those things that, that you said that, that a principal can do uh, to sort of um, have that kind of multiplier effect on, on quality teaching and, and, and expand quality teaching, um, makes sense, but what is, from a from your experience and sort of been in being in, in districts and states and, and talking with all the folks that you do, what are some of the the barriers that uh, exist that, that that sort of don't allow principals to potentially fully maximize that role? Well, you know, one of the other things we often think of the principal as doing is buffering the staff from the demands of outside agencies, and those can sometimes be obstacles. 
Uh Um, We have a lot of policy that lands on schools, way more than there used to be in the, you know, 1950s, 60s, 70s, 80s. It's uh, become a a very uh, crowded environment for federal mandates, state uh, mandates, sometimes local district edicts. Um, and those often change with the winds of politics. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a new administration comes in or board members or legislators change or whatever, and we often have this, uh, now we're not doing this, we're going to do that kind of pendulum swing approach. So that's very disruptive to school improvement. So one of the things that's an obstacle and one of the things that skilled principals protect the staff from uh are these changeable um, and often conflicting policies that can land on a school mm-hmm. uh, and, you know, really striking a um, direction with the school staff, with the parents, with the community, uh, and going in that direction and trying to keep uh, the noise uh, out of the picture mm-hmm. so that the focus can be on children and on the quality of learning. Yeah. I, uh, I imagine right now uh, all the principals listening to this podcast are shake, uh, shaking their head in sort of agreement and <laughs> the outside forces and, and, and sort of demands on their school. Uh, you, you sort of hear that a lot. Uh, but you mentioned this, this kind of, um, you know, federal requirements or, you know, state require new requirement district changes, and, and there's all these new expectations, and sometimes they're contrary. Uh, but what, what, has, what, what happens, I think, is there's a you get this sort of patchwork of, um, you know, policies and, and programs um, and sort of thinking about at the state and district level, um, what, and, and it's not just around school leadership, right? It's around sort of all of these things in, in sort of K-12 schools. But what, what does it take to, to, for a state or a district to, to kind of move beyond that approach um, where that, um, there's these, again, just these kind of um, competing interests, kind of these patchwork policies. Um, how, do, how do states and districts, how should state and districts um, develop sort of coherent um, uh, human capital management uh, systems and, and sort of processes? Well, um, you know, some states have taken advantage of the new Every Student Succeeds Act Uh, the federal law to really rethink the way they manage schools. Um, California, where I live, is one example. There are others across the country where they're really trying to create a coherent approach um, to ensure that there is equitable funding first on the table and resources to support human capital development, that is, to ensure that you can recruit and retain teachers and leaders in the system uh, and to provide professional learning opportunities for them, but then allowing a lot of the decision-making about what goes on at the school to be guided by indicators of progress, multiple measures of student learning and um, progress, but to allow the educators to make the decisions of how to get from here to there. Mm -hmm. So, 
For example, in California, the categorical programs, there were dozens and dozens of them that set money in ways that you had to spend this little pot of money for this thing and this little pot of money for that thing, for the most part were folded up into a new formula and now it's up to leaders in their schools to work with their parents and communities to figure out how to allocate that money to get the job done to meet the needs of the students in that school. Um, rather than trying to, you know, uh, sort of be micromanaged through these categorical funding pots. Uh, and if you could have a cycle of continuous improvement uh, where people are looking at how kids are doing um, on everything from, um, you know, achievement to graduation to positive discipline to positive school climate, uh, to access to high quality curriculum, and then regularly um, adjust and improve based on the findings and the evidence, then you can create a coherent system uh, that supports human capital development because everybody can get on the same page and stay on the same page together. That actually keeps people in the profession. It reduces turnover uh, and it enhances achievement in the long run to have that continuity uh, and everyone pulling in the same direction uh, in the system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense, and 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 I'm really glad that you you mentioned sort of ESSA and the opportunities there. I think you see um, certainly not across the board, but you you see um, you see states uh, trying to leverage that and and try to rethink you know that approach and and sort of how do you how do you bring all these policies policies together. Uh, in a way that that again is not duplicative, not redundant, uh, and certainly not um, ineffective as as it relates to how you recruit and and retain and support and and sort of develop the talent of your educator workforce. Um, great. Well, that 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 was really really helpful. I uh, want to get a couple more questions in with you uh, in in the re- in the remaining time that we have. Um, something that I know that 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 you've looked at a lot, uh, both in terms of sort of research and, and just kind of models around the country, but um, the residency approach to uh, to preparation, to sort of pre-service um, uh, training um, as, as it relates to principals and teachers. But first, why, why is a shift uh, sort of needed in the way that we prepare teachers uh, and principals? Well, you know, the best knowledge is knowledge where, that evolves as theory meets practice. And as people understand uh, both what, you know, we can learn from research, you know, how do people learn? What do we know about curriculum planning, child development, et cetera, but but not in a theoretical abstract way, in a way that's applied to problems of practice in the classroom. So residencies for both teachers and principals create the opportunity for a, uh, for study uh, under the wing of expert educators uh, while you're also taking the courses that can provide a framework for interpreting and learning what can go into practice. Um, that results in more powerful uh, and effective practice in the long run. In addition, in these residencies, uh, people are learning from uh, you're bringing the university and the school district together, they're often um, funded to uh, have a salary while they're engaged in this clinical practice. 
For principals, that means that instead of imagining what it might like, be like to be in a leadership role in the school while they're still a teacher, they're actually in a leadership role in a school under the wing of a, an effective principal while they're taking courses in the partner university. Same thing is true for teachers. And they're um, pledging as they get the benefits of this um, free training and uh, subsidized living expenses. They're promising to work for a certain amount of time in their recipient state or district that is um, supporting this learning. Uh, that's particularly helpful for uh, addressing shortages because some districts, for that matter, some states tend to have uh, higher rates of shortages. And if they continue to fill those with people who don't have training and come and go at rapid rates, they never solve the problem. This way, you get people who are really well prepared for the context that they will work in uh, under the wing of the best practitioners in that context who then are more confident, more competent, um, more um, effective, and more likely to stay mm -hmm. over the long haul. So it solves many problems many. at one time. So, you so your research shows that participants writ large, generally speaking, participants uh, in residency programs are, are, are more likely to stay and be more effective in the job. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And that is true both for teachers where you find that, uh, you know, five years in, depending on the location and the program, 80 to 90% of them are still there. Wow. Um, and even a greater percentage are still in the profession. Wow. Uh, and for principals, we just looked at the Principal Fellows Program in North Carolina, which provides internships to principals. And they uh, are much more likely to go into administration, first as assistant principals often, and then as principals, they're much more likely to stay. They're much more likely to say they were well prepared for the job. And in an earlier study, we found that people who've been prepared in this way felt less stressed by the job because they wow. knew how to approach it. Therefore, they were happier about it, um, more effective in it, and more likely to want to continue. Absolutely, absolutely. No, I mean it. It 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 feels very much like the momentum is is heading into a into the, this being the model, um, you know, going forward. And uh, you know, just the note that um, with the uh, reauthorization of, of of higher the Higher Education Act here up in in DC, uh, something that you know we're going to be pushing for is um, you know increased federal investments uh, to to support uh, um, higher ed institutions to be able to you know to provide uh, this this type of preparation for all the reasons that you mentioned. Um, so um, very interesting. So one of the things that you mentioned though is, is, is uh, shortages and, and kind of keeping um, you know, teachers to stay in the profession. Um, as you know, uh, teacher shortages kind of across the country, states and governors and, um, and um, um, chief, uh, state school chiefs, I mean, this is a real focus. This is kind of taking up a lot of oxygen uh, in, in sort of in, in, in states. Um, but one thing that, that, that you found um, or, or know and, and, and have, have, um, have found um, sort of backed up by research is, is, is the role of, of, of the principal um, in addressing teacher, teacher shortages. So uh, the, the attention can't just be on um, getting sort of new, new folks into the system, you have to, you, there's got to be 
attention paid also to to why teachers are leaving and and the the role that the principal plays in um, in, in keeping great teachers in school. So just just tell us briefly about that. Yeah, you know, one of the things uh, that people often don't think about when they're facing shortages is that retention is actually more important in some ways than recruitment, although, of course, you've got to get people in to begin with. Uh, but nine out of ten positions we fill every year for teachers are because of teachers who left the year before. And two-thirds of those folks did not retire but left for other reasons. So um, keeping teachers, keeping the teachers we have in the profession is one of the most important ways to solve shortages. Our attrition rates for teachers in the U.S. are about twice as high as those of high-achieving countries like Singapore and Finland and places like Ontario, Canada. Uh, and if we simply cut our attrition rates in half to be comparable to those of these other jurisdictions, we would have no shortages today. Wow. So it's very important to focus on retention. And then how do we do that? Well, one thing, of course, is to be sure that beginning teachers get good mentoring and support when they come into teaching, and the principal plays a role in that. But um, especially in a big high school context where there are lots of teachers, you also need to have other mentor teachers uh, in the mix so that people can get the intensive assistance in their content area that they need and want. And good principals um, are always pleased to have a cadre of um, teacher leaders who are mentors to engage in that. Peer assistance and review programs across the country uh, provide uh, that team to help the beginning teacher with the mentor and principal both. And actually, evidence shows that when they're Principals involved with the beginning teacher and there's also a mentor, you know, retention rates go way up. Another thing that matters is uh, simply uh, providing supports for teachers and letting them know that uh, what they need will be taken uh, account of. Uh, again, creating that collegial environment where um, teachers get to collaborate with each other. Um, all of those things uh, and being helpful in enabling teachers to be efficacious. Mm -hmm. All of those things really improve the retention of teachers in the workforce. And teachers always say that the principal is uh, uh, probably single most important variable mm -hmm. in determining whether they stay or leave a particular school. Well, yeah, no, it's, uh, that's, that's really compelling. Um, well, last last thing before before you go, this has been great. Um, it, it's always, of course, good to good to hear from you um, in in your perspectives on on all of these things. But um, would would love for you just to give any advice that you have for um, uh, sort of principals and and sort of thinking about um, how they as advocates can can push to get uh, the principalship higher up on state and federal policy agendas. I think this is something that. We have these conversations, and and we know, you know, the research is there. You know that principles are, are so important, uh, and and yet we're 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 always uh, pushing to ensure that that folks who are making these decisions know that, uh, and and the policy that they uh, create and, and and sort of implement sort of reflects that. But uh, so what can so what so what's your advice to sort of folks who are who are in this work? Well, I would just say, first of all, it's a really good moment to be engaged because I think all across the country, there is a lot of attention right now going to how do we uh, build a strong and stable educator workforce 
people are beginning to really care about it. There was sort of a, an era of public school bashing over the last decade that is coming to an end, and um, many, many indicators of concern to put the right supports in place for principals and teachers. Uh, it's important to be involved with your associations because they can be a voice, a common voice at the state and federal legislative level for the kinds of supports that are needed to help people get into the profession uh, without debt and with good training to get the ongoing professional learning opportunities that they need to be doing the challenging work of teaching a very diverse student population to very new high standards um, and to get the kind of um, uh, compensation and um, uh, sort of uh, policy supports that allow good work to be done uh, over a substantial career. So it's um, a moment where people are listening and uh, I encourage principals both to speak up on their own uh, with others in their districts and with their colleagues in their associations. That's great. No, that's great. Absolutely great advice. And I uh, wholeheartedly agree that that this is a great moment, <laughs> and and so the time is a uh, you know this is a great opportunity to to kind of jump in. So, um, well, Linda, thank you again for uh, for coming on, and uh, really really appreciate it. Uh, there's so many other, of course, uh, topics that you know that we'd love to chat with you about. There's with all the work that you're involved in. I know you're the co-chair of uh, the National Commission on Social Emotional and uh, and Academic. Uh, development through the Aspen Institute and you just released a really insightful report on SEL um, so so many other great things so maybe we can have you on at a, at a later time but uh, re really really appreciate you joining today thank you so much take care all right thank you bye